0: The reading that this morning is taken from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. The first commandment. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself. This is much more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any question. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, And uh, thank you, Heather, for that reading. As a church, we've been thinking about uh, what mission means for us. Uh, And I picked this uh, reading of the two great commandments because I think that does speak into the question. Um, The fact that there are two great commandments must say something about our concept of what mission is. The background to the reading today is that there's been a bit of theological argy-bargy going on between Jewish leaders about which was the greatest commandment in the law and Jesus gets drawn into that debate by being asked for his own opinion. The first thing Jesus does in giving an answer is uh, make a very robust and um, uncompromising affirmation um, of monotheism as being at the very heart of the law. The first thing he says is the Lord our God is one. And that makes a lot of sense because um, a commandment can only truly be great if it, um, uh, if it um, requires or demands your absolute loyalty. If it um, permits divided loyalty or optional compliance, there's not very much that's great about it. The predominant worldview in Jesus' um, time was polytheism, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, they all had this kind of pantheistic view of the universe Um, and the history of the Old Testament reveals that even the people of Israel were highly susceptible to um, uh, going off task and um, uh, worshipping false gods like Baal. So Jesus sets the scene by reminding us that the Lord our God is the one and the only Well, you might not think that that's terribly important um, in this day and age, but I would argue that there are all kinds of gods, small g gods that people follow. They may not be thought of as deities, but they absolutely do claim our loyalty, our time and our money. So this preface is still very, very relevant today. Now, Jesus goes on to say that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul And with all our strength. And this, of course, is what he does every day as a human, as a Jew, as a uh, community leader. He speaks of um, loving God unreservedly. This is the great and the first commandment. He calls us to love our Lord with every aspect of our being. And when we stand back and we examine the life of Jesus, we see that he is continuously and fully committed to that task. So he brings us not just a commandment, when we look um, at the sweep of Jesus' life we see um, not only the commandment but the illustration of it. Um, The commandments come today from um, chapter 12 of Mark's Gospel in the New Testament but they're not actually new, the New Testament was compiled um, some decades after Jesus' death and the Um, The scribe who's asking the question um, is actually asking for Jesus' opinion on the Torah, on the Old Testament law Um, and he's asking how Jesus understands that and there'd been these really vigorous debates going on between rabbinic scholars about which of all the commandments, there was about 630, they counted them up, Um, which one of these was the greatest And uh, there's plenty to choose from. Some of them were framed negatively, some were uh, cast positively, some were major, some were minor. Um, So there's lots of choices here. Jesus picks a passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in giving his answer. That passage says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Interestingly, Jesus does some editorialising he adds in the words, with all your mind, into the list. Now, I don't think it alters the sense of um, the verse terribly much because it's always been about loving God with all that you are, but Jesus does choose to specifically call out loving God with your mind and uh, incorporating that into the list. I'm not entirely sure why he does that, Um, in Deuteronomy the law was given to people by Moses and they were very conscious of the law, Um, they learnt it, they even kept copies of it on their person, their physical person, Um, they taught it to their children from generation to the generation. So maybe it's something about there being a difference between receiving law by rote and perhaps building a deeper and more personal understanding in the way that we love God our intellectual and creative capacities must be given over in love of God as well. For me, I think the really important thing is to be authentic. We've got to be honest. There's stuff that we don't understand. There's stuff that we struggle with. But we can love God wholeheartedly, in a a full way, even though we're we're, um, trying to work things out. We can trust in the goodness um, and in the character of God. In writing this sermon, one person who I couldn't help but think about was the great German composer, Johann Sebastian Bach. Now, every single piece of his vast repertoire of church music, which is a lot of music, every single piece is inscribed with the initials SGD. And that is uh, Latin for, um, for the glory of God alone. Every piece. So to me, there can be no better example of someone who's decided that they're going to love God with all their mind and all their creative capacity. Another way of loving God with our mind is through great teaching and of course Jesus is the master teacher. Uh, We see this in his parables, we see it um, in his storytelling, in the kind of incisive questions that he asks and if you look carefully I think there's another example of loving God with your mind in this very passage that was read to us. You may not have noticed but the the, uh, the scribe repeats back to Jesus in a kind of paraphrase everything that he's understood from the conversation. It's like there's a comprehension test going on or some kind of exercise in active learning. And Um, the scribe then offers a bit of his own personal analysis right at the end um, saying effectively, so Jesus what all this is about is more important than um, burnt offerings and sacrifices. So we see here just a very small illustration of what it might mean to love God with your mind listening carefully, thinking things through for yourself, owning them, applying them. Now We mustn't be concerned that we're not Bach or we're not Jesus Um, and we might not think that we've got very much to offer God in the um, loving God with your whole mind department but the spirit of God enables us to have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16 and we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans um, 12 verse 2. The mystery is that as we offer our mind in love of God, the Spirit takes it, moulds it, shapes it and uses it for God's glory. But the story doesn't end there. In responding to the Sadducees' question, Jesus gives not one but two great commandments. The second one that he selects comes from Leviticus chapter 9, uh, verse 18. That verse says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge Against the sons of your own people, but instead you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, Jesus selects a kind of foundation statement, but Jesus leaves out the sons of your own people bit, and that broadens the context. Neighbours are not just the sons of your own people, um, as, per Levit- as per Leviticus. Our obligations go beyond kith and kin. Neighbours are not the people we would necessarily choose. Neighbours are those whom God places along our path and in our hearts. And we constitute ourselves as good neighbours by behaving in neighbourly, to, neighbourly ways towards um, the people that God gives us to care for. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus sets aside any narrow or legalistic view about who is my neighbour. And as I've mentioned previously in um, um, earlier sermons, the point of having a naked man in a coma in the story of the Good Samaritan is to ensure that he is a completely generic victim. It's impossible to tell who the victim is from his ethnic dress because he's not wearing any. Um, And it's impossible to identify the group that he belongs to from his language or accent or by asking him because he's unconscious. We don't know whether he's a Jew or whether he's a Gentile or what he is. And the moral tension flows from this. And we applaud the fact that the Good Samaritan responds generously and selflessly even though he doesn't know the identity of the victim. And that's the point. The call to love our neighbour as ourself is an expansion of the original teaching contained in Leviticus. Now, by now, you will have noticed that even though Jesus was asked to give one great commandment, he chooses to give two. And um, I think the risk in identifying any single greatest commandment is that giving priority to one thing necessarily means deprioritizing something else. So Jesus is trying to navigate here potentially very uh, dangerous territory. He responds brilliantly by offering the two commandments that he does. This answer that he gives um, by giving two commandments goes to the underlying intent of every law that there is. That said, when I look at the two great commandments... I do wonder whether there's actually much difference between them. Uh, So yes, the object of each each statement is different. One talks about our love of God. The other talks about our love of neighbour. But is there actually any significant distinction between them? To love God fully means that we necessarily will love our neighbour because we know that that's how God wants us to live. And the law of Deuteronomy is absolutely full of commandments about taking care of other people. And conversely, to love our neighbour is an essential way to show our love of God. We know that God delights when we serve one another. Elsewhere, Jesus reminds us that all people that we will will know that we are his disciples when we show love one for another. So you could make the case that the second great commandment is not only like the first, to use the language of uh, Matthew, um, but that it's redundant because loving our God is already scooped up in what we have to do to express our love of God. So maybe what's going on here is a bit of divine risk mitigation. If we just had the first commandment, it might be possible for some people to interpret that in a very kind of um, personal, pietistic way, being concerned only with our worship and with our private devotion. Because there's a second commandment about serving our neighbours, there is a very clear requirement for active expression of love by serving each other in community. And if we just had the second commandment, then we might be left with um, good works and a social conscience, but no vital relationship with God. By having two commandments, we avoid the risk of religion Uh, that is about personal piety on the one hand and religion that is dumbed down to civic responsibility on the other. A similarity between these two great commandments is that they are both framed in very open-ended, positive language. We must give everything that we are in love of God and we must love our neighbour as much as we would like to receive love. And the verb love, which is uh, propelling each of these commandments, is a highly active thing. Negatively framed rules like thou shalt not create much clearer limits. It's easier to know whether you've met them or whether you haven't. To my mind, positively framed, open-ended statements like these are a lot, lot harder. They are personally searching. They find us out. There's no fudging. There's no limit. There's no circumscribing. There's no containing. Remember the rich young man that I mentioned last week who was able to confidently say to Jesus that he'd kept all the commandments and yet he skulks away in sadness because he was very attached to things and he owned a lot of stuff. He was unable to follow Jesus. The sacrifices that matter are the sacrifices of the heart, and they require a kind of unself conscious offering of ourselves towards God and others. It must be full, it must be generous, we must selflessly give ourselves to God and to our neighbours. Elsewhere, Jesus says that the whole of the law and the prophets, almost all of the Old Testament, can be pinned down to just these two things. The challenge for us is not just to know these commandments but to live them out. That is so much harder. It requires us to allow God's spirit into our heart to give us the energy and the passion and the inspiration to follow them. You know, it's easy to sort of keep these statements at arm's length. We can recognise them as uh, theologically perceptive statements, but in the end, they're not meant to be for academic interest. They're actually there for our guidance and for our reform. The sacrifices of the heart are those that really matter and we are called to be living sacrifices ourselves. These commandments are a continuous mirror for our self-reflection. For me, I ask myself whether I've been much good in loving God with all that I am and to be brutally honest, I suspect many of us love God with a slice of our heart, with a portion of our soul, with a little bit of our mind and with some of our strength. There are many hesitations, qualifications, reservations that we harbour deep within, some perhaps even um, unconsciously. Do I love my neighbour as myself? Well, you know, I like to think that I'm a neighbourly kind of a guy in a general sense, and I definitely do have very strong convictions about Christians serving other people. That's probably best reflected in the um, work that I've chosen to do and felt called to do. But to be honest, I have to say that I could be more attentive to those around me. The reality for many of us, perhaps most of us, (laughs) is that the two great commandments are the two great aspirations. We fall short, knowing that we do not satisfy God's law. And yet we affirm and cherish these commandments. They're a kind of axis for life. There is a uh, vertical love of God and a horizontal love of neighbour. It's beautiful, it's clear, it's simple. Or perhaps it's not so much an axis as a cross. There's a vertical central pole standing between heaven and earth and there placed upon it are the horizontal arms of Jesus stretched out in loving embrace of the whole world. And while we don't match up Jesus has done so and thankfully we can join our life to his. Jesus closes the gap for us with his boundless grace poured out for us, and for this we can be eternally grateful. Amen.